Meyer, I'm Tim Burgess, and this is the LSQ Podcast. Twenty twenty certainly has challenged both artists and fans to find new ways to come together in the absence of concerts to share our love of music, and I've been really inspired by some of the creative solutions artists have come up with. For instance, back in late March, during the early days of lockdown, singer-songwriter and Charlatan's frontman Tim Burgess started hosting a series of online listening parties. It's called Tim's Twitter Listening Party, and the way it works is everyone presses play on the designated album at the same time, including either the artist or a member of the band or someone significantly connected to the making of the LP, And then we all tweet along together, sharing our favorite moments as the artist contributes rare insight. It's super fun, and not at all surprising that it's become massively popular. By the time I connected with Tim over the summer to record this conversation, he'd already hosted more than 350 Twitter listening parties, and there's no end in sight, luckily. I guarantee he's already done at least a couple of your favorite albums. And you can check the archive and watch a real-time feed of the party at timstwitterlisteningparty.com. My curiosity about that also gave me an excuse to talk to Tim about his creative journey, so we dig into that as well in episode 53 of LSQ. Hi, I'm Jenny LSQ. Let's get into it. Well, it was something that I'd done for Charlatans and um, some of my solo albums. I'd kind of like you know, just randomly, or if there was kind of an anniversary of the album, um, I would just, you know, uh, um, reach out to my uh, followers on Twitter and say, should I do a listening party? And, you know, there'd be a lot of enjoyment and lots of requests for, yes, let's do it. So um, when the lockdown began, I thought I'd do some friendly again. It would have been like about the fourth time I'd done it. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, Alex uh, from Franz Ferdinand said, oh, I love that album. I bought it when I was like 19 years old or, or, or whatever. And uh, I just thought, oh, oh, we'll do a Franz Ferdinand one. Thinking he was going to do their new one, um, he said, let's go with a debut, you know. And um, same went for Dave Roundtree. We went with Park Life uh, for Blur. And Bonehead went for Definitely Maybe. And it was kind of like, wow, it's a thing. And then... Wendy Smith from Prefab Sprout, who's like one of my favourite people in the world, um, she did the fifth one and it kind of like, that was a really emotional one. There was like big and there was like, you you know, a a, a humongous, like we definitely maybe. And then Prefab Sprout, there was like really thoughtful, beautiful record and and, and Wendy doing it. It was just a a real, open the door to a, a, a new emotion. I mean, is that when you started just thinking, okay, how many of these, like, just like booking them? I mean, you made it your job. You've made this your job. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, my uh, my un- unpaid job, um, uh, which is... Thank you. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's cool. Um, yeah, I, I just um, got a lot of enjoyment from it and um, wanted to see, you know, I, I within those first five uh, parties, I'd written out a kind of um, a document that I would send to people. And it was very basic. It was like, you know, this is what I do when I do my parties. You follow these guidelines. And everyone took them. And, you know, the the next 20 had this document and, you know, or the next 30 or whatever. And it was really interesting that, you know, nobody did it the same. 
you know, and I just thought that was really fantastic. You know, there's a blueprint, but nobody did it the same. It was nice. And so are you now looking at, uh, you know, are there, is there a next phase of it? Well, um, it's, 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 I mean, it's hard, it's, it's an organic thing. And, 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 um, you know, within weeks, people were thinking about um, ways of um, joining the party to promote their new record. And that's fine, you know, uh, that, that's cool. Um, there was um, record uh, labels were promoting, helping promote, and that's been a continuous thing. And, and then also kind of like, um, you know, advertising the record around it and things like that. And that's been a thing too. So whether that just continues to be, you know, yeah. uh, you, you know that's, that's all I really know. Um, there are uh, bands that uh, we've booked, you know, uh, for the uh, parties at the end of September and early October. I mean, you know, right. uh, it's, it's not as intense as it was during the lockdown when everybody had to stay at home. But right. there's still a really great, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a propulsive kind of, um, you know, thing. It's happening. It's, 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 uh, there isn't one tonight. Um, and it's like the second night, I think, in, in a couple of weeks that have, have taken off. But I'm kind of, you know, I, I need it. And then it's two tomorrow night yeah. and it was two the night before. And, and it was only ever meant to be one a night. That was, that, that's all I promised at first. But then, you know, it got incredibly insane in a beautiful way yeah so what were the first things as a kid that you had you know that you fixated on as a fan as a fan uh, the first thing that i um, my, my first single bought was um little jimmy osmond six years old um after that it was punk music like um sex pistols devo um uh, new wave you know uh, uh, blondie clash uh, and then more kind of like um, obsessed with a band called Crass. Uh, I was 13 years old and uh, I went to a scout hall, a local scout hall, and Crass, Poison Girls and Zounds played. And it was like, you know, obviously was with the youngest there, but the, kind of the oldest there was probably about 17. So it was like, you know, <laughs> not, not that much of a, 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 a difference. And then after that, Factory Records, Tony Wilson. You know, I was obsessed with Factory from maybe eight, 1982 till the, you know, 90s, you know. And then, I don't know, I, I love everything, really. Going back, though, to the earliest stuff, so you're, where would you, where would you go to get music as a, as a little kid? You mean record shops, or? Yeah, what, what, what was the, what was the local? Oh, well, um, I grew up 20 miles outside of Manchester, so when I was a little kid, I would go to the local uh, town, which would have uh, a Woolworths or a, you know, a, 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 like a, the equivalent of a Walmart, uh, you know, and uh, and just buy seven inches and because, you know, albums weren't a thing when I was that young. Um, and then when I was... And a single is cheap. You can get a single. And a single is cheap and, you know, so instant and, you you know, <laughs> you get a lot for your money and, and uh, an A and a B side and... You know, I, I really hammered those A's and B's. Um, and then when I was like, you know, uh, again, like the, my 13 seems like a big year for me. And uh, I would go to Manchester with my friends and, you know, and uh, be scared. But, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but feel that it was a, a real rite of passage. 
Yeah, do a little scared shopping. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so there's lots of markets in Manchester that had punk singles, and it was a really beautiful thing. Like, you know. Were there any particular people in your life, whether older friends or siblings, who were who who really led you in the in the in the right direction obviously some of that music was just what was happening but who were your kind of guides who were your guides to what music to be listening to yeah my, my first guide was um my uncle andrew who was my mother's youngest brother um so she's the eldest of six her youngest brother was only like five years older than me so but he had some great records like early genesis uh, Peter Gabriel era, um, Jethro Tull, um, and um, some Led Zeppelin and things like that, um, and it was kind of you know uh, uh, you know just the idea of seeing records I think was an it was an amazing thing albums you know and, and I was just looking around here posters in his room and things like that and then um, my friends all seem to have like two older brothers you know. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, yeah. so when I was thirteen, you know, obviously they had brothers who were seventeen, and 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 that was, you know, they'd hold our hands through, through some, you know. Did you think at this point were you starting were you starting to play music yourself or write songs yet at thirteen ish? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, I didn't know what I wanted to play. I, I the, my first instrument from Andrew, my uncle again, was a, a bass guitar. And he tried to teach me um, The Bed's Too Big Without You by The Police, or by, are they called The Police or Police? Uh, The Police. And um, I wasn't interested, but I loved playing Warhead by UK Subs. So uh, it was, it was helpful. And then, and then I got a guitar and, you know, I like to pose with it more than anything. Um, And so a, a synth because, you know, New Order and Depeche Mode were, were everything at that point and um but yeah I, I i i was in a band and singing um at you know maybe 19 20 and then um i left that band joined the charlatans at 21 but at what point did i mean did playing music feel important to you right away or was it yeah did you did you immediately feel it turned on something to play music listening to music more than playing um i've only really kind of like got into uh, playing uh, you know as time has has, has gone on i love i used to love rehearsing with the band and just sort of like hearing things that you can only hear once and it's like you know it's like oh my god how did we do that <laughs> you know those kind of things those youthful uh, you know exuberant re- rehearsals are just amazing there's no- nothing that really you know and I, when i hear like records by say aztec camera and orange juice their debut albums i i, I hear that on their records and you know and I, I i kind of i guess i hear that with some friendly as well you know yeah yeah no i was gonna ask like where what was there a moment early on in between not being sure if it was good yet and somehow realizing you know you had listened to enough music at that point already in your life to know what a good song is like you must have felt like okay I think we're on to something I really felt that um I, I you know I've been in bands since you know like in my teens and um you know when I went for the rehearsal or the tryout um at the show I, I already knew them but i actually kind of you know it wasn't 
called an audition, but I knew that it kind of was. And um, I um, just felt they, they played uh, three instrumentals and I just felt that this it was the best thing I'd ever heard. And that's, you know, I'm sure lots of people in bands think that. Uh, but I'd never, it, it was on another level than anything I'd been in before. And when you hear something like that, from your perspective, you're thinking, are you already hearing what you can add to it? You know, is that how your writing experience works? It was funny. Um, I sang something um, over the top of one of the songs, or and, and I thought I was doing a pretty good Iggy Pop, Jim Morrison impression, <laughs> right? And Martin, our bass player, said, let's do it again. Uh, maybe try singing this time, Tim. So, so it went from a kind of like shouty kind of like that, you know, passionate thing, or in my head, quite a passionate thing, to just singing my way through it, some words that I had, and it really felt like uh, it was the first, it was, so it was like the first time singing. It was very quiet. It was very, um, I didn't have a voice yet. It was, you know, it was, but it was a singing voice that I'd never tried before because, you know, punk and Iggy and... Jim, you know, it's kind of, it can be shouty. You can get away with just like screaming, you know, down the mic and things like that. And so when I started um, singing, I was just trying to sing in tune and it was kind of a bit pretty maybe. And, you know, but I, I it, it, but it was, it was good. It, it sounded okay. And when did it start to feel like, like, it was taking off. I mean, I'm guessing from the way you're describing it, it didn't, it's, that wasn't any part of the expectation in, you know, 1989, 1990, like, oh yeah, our band is going to be huge. No, no, well, not really, but there was a huge kind of like thing bubbling and exploding at the same time. Uh, so it'd been bubbling uh, for a while, uh, especially in Manchester, but there'd been bands like, say, who, in my opinion, opinion kind of like um help lead the way as well like uh sundays and uh pastels and uh this is uh, you know obviously anything on factory which is like you know new order and quando quango 56th street acr all of that all fed into the same thing the hacienda the dance music craze but you know scottish bands like pastels and soup dragons too and it was all happening and everyone thought it was part of the same thing which was led by the stone roses and the happy mondays um and it was, but it wasn't, you know, but it was, worldwide it was. But it seemed right, but but from your perspective in the band, it seemed like once you knew you had some genuinely really good songs, you felt like this is, ha this could happen for us. Look at what's happening. This could happen for it, us. It seemed to take ages, but it actually only took, it took us about six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, when, when you're young, time just goes so slow. And, uh, uh, and, um, and uh, so we'd all wanted to do it all our lives, even though we didn't admit it. We'd all wanted to be in, in music, you know, or, or have a successful band. And, you know, when we, when we got together, we thought, this is it. This is definitely sounds like something that we'd never experienced before in, you know, our uh, prospective bands that we were in, you know, before. What felt like some of the early important milestones for you where you thought, oh, wow, okay, you know, once the six months of torturous waiting had passed, what were, per what were some of the, what were some of the things that you personally were like, oh, boy, this is a moment for me? Okay, well, um, 
so very early, um, they had three instrumentals, plus they'd had a singer before I was in the band uh, who they'd been working with. So they had four or five songs that they were going to use in a live thing that I had to kind of like learn and sing. And really quickly, those just went out of the window. Uh, and then we replaced it with Pink Floyd, Lucy for Sam, uh, you know, brilliant Sid Barra um, uh, era Pink Floyd. And um, that stayed in briefly, but it was when we had like nine songs of our own, that was milestone number one. Then recording with Chris Nagel, our first single Indian Rope, that was like, oh, you know, the first time I thought, wow, we've really made it because I've only seen Chris Nagel's name before and it's been on all of my favourite records. Yeah. Uh, I'm intrigued by how long now you've been kind of uh, asserting your music fanhood as as like a thing. Like even I th- I'm thinking about that record you made with Kurt Wagner um, back, you know, not quite a decade ago. But, you know, as a successful artist, like um, you don't always have to approach other artists and say, hey, let's do something. To- I'm a fan of you. Let's. Let's do something together. Um, so I'm curious, just kind of what you what you learn from those experiences, or what it what it is that makes you gravitate toward collaboration. Yeah. Um, well, with, with with Kurt, I first heard um, his his music on uh, a, a friend gave me a compilation cassette, and um, I listened to it in maybe '97, and it was a it was a uh, I was looking for I was looking for something that was different you know uh, charlatans had, had, had done five albums that were all kind of like uh you, uh, you know uh, certainly the certainly the three before the tape um uh they'd all kind of like gone on a tra- trajectory and and all kind of like um the sound wise it had just been quite natural development and I was looking for something different and I heard Kurt Wagner's voice and the tone of his musicality I was really getting into um country music uh, like Grand Parsons style country um I've been you know loved the birds for, for years but Graham and and then I thought well maybe I'll listen to you know some Hank Williams and 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 um and then Woody Guthrie and then I heard Lamb Chop and thought, wow, this is the real, this is really the real deal. And his lyrics are so kind of otherworldly. And, you know, and, and, and you know, obviously you know that, but um, that was my impression. And I just listened to it and started to buy the records. And then I met him. And then I, in 2001, it was, so it was quite a long time. Um, uh, I went to see him do a solo show in Manchester and, Went to meet him before, saw the show, loved it. Went to see him after and then carried his guitar or, or his amp because he had a bit of a bad back and I was carrying his amp for him, put it in his van and um, and just said, you know, let's write together one day. I'd, lo- I'd really love to write a song. And he said, OK, Tim, you write the um, you write the music and I'll write the words. And that, you know, I was always the person who wrote the words in my band and, and never wrote any music. So I thought, that's so great. You know, I, I love that. Um, and 10 years later, I went to see him in Nashville uh, and told him that I wanted to do an album with him. And what does he think? Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I missed a big chunk out in the middle. But, you know, I, I um, it took me a long time to go to Nashville um, for, you know, no reason. You know, just 
time time just slips away and and um you know doing other things but it was very much like inspiring um, my writing uh, especially on us and us only and wonderland certainly elements of nixon and wonderland and um and uh, and everything else in the album before so it 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 made absolute uh, fan as a fan, it, it, it just made absolute sense, sense, and and it and it felt authentic to actually work with him because I kind of like used a few of his ideas anyway. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because a lot of artists, I think there's you know there's a certain certain artists say that they they can't listen to too much other music or when they're looking for new ideas, it's uh, counterproductive to listen to other too much of other artists, um, and then it's and then there's you know, folks such as yourself, who's what you seem to be saying is that you're inspired by listen by listening listening to more and more music is like gives you ideas. And I'm curious. I'm curious if and this is kind of an abstract question, but I'm curious if when you're listening to an album you love by another artist, as you do for Twitter listening parties every day. If the feeling, if the feeling of liking another artist's song and the feeling of writing a good song of your own, like if it feels similar, you know. Y- yes. <laughs> uh, well, it is abstract, and 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 and, and, and music is abstract. I I, I think. Um, let me think. So I listen to music all the time, and I feel kind of lost if I'm not really listening to music. I mean, it's not on now, you know, um, um, it's not on permanently. Um, but, you know, if, if if three days have gone by and I've not really listened to a record, it kind of, it does me in a little bit. Um, and I'm not so much looking for inspiration. I just want to hear somebody else do something as opposed to myself. Um, you know, it takes me away from me. And then, you know... I also love other people. I, I, I love community. I love uh, the social aspect of music. I love the idea of talking about music. And and um, so, yeah, it just all feeds in. Though I don't... There have been times where, especially when I was, like, learning the craft, um, that I would sort of, like, go, right, that... I'd like to have that in my song. <laughs> and pretty much tried to take something and you know it never turns out the same but you kind of like take that idea and now I don't do that I feel like I've got enough uh, of the, I've learned enough but you know but I, I don't stop things I don't stop ideas just coming out naturally and you know who knows where they come from and so the album that you just put out back in May, your latest solo album, tell me more about that group of songs. When did you first start working on I Love the New Sky, those tracks? Um, and and was there anything different in, in how you approached it from other solo collections? Okay, so the answer to that is not really. I didn't really approach it any differently. Um, I definitely had a desire to write an album. And I was... This is no disrespect to the charlatans in any way, uh, but I always felt that I'd done my solo projects in between charlatans albums in a bit of a rush, you know, and uh, or yeah. and uh, and and charlatans had done five years uh, of, of, of hard work, two albums, uh, an EP, and toured the world. So I just felt, uh, we, you know, we said we weren't going to do anything for for a year or two, and I had a year to write this uh, an album, and I thought, oh, I'm going to 
really show people what I can do. <laughs> and uh, so that that was that was that was the spirit. Um, uh, but not really. As far as the writing goes, not really any different. Um, you know, just tried to let the chords inform the melody, and the melody. You know, gradually the lyrics come, and then I replace them pretty much all the time and then you know just <laughs> until until it's something that I'm really happy with but uh, you know something small in, in a song can make me really happy at, at the beginning enough to get it going you know do you have a, a kind of a particular routine for when you're writing or a time of day or a room in your home that you go to what what's it look like uh th th it looks like this uh this is the room um um nice uh, yeah it's just it's not <laughs> Amazing! That that bit's really great. Uh, I love that. Bit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, so the last few years, um, I kind of like I've got a seven-year-old little boy. So I've been dropping him off at school, and then I go to the gym, right? So yeah, very very nice. different than nice. than how it used to be. <laughs> and uh, and, um, and with, at the gym, I have uh, an i an iPod. And I just do 45, 45 minutes on the treadmill and then drive back and then start. And, you know, does the music I listen to on the treadmill inspire anything? Not really, because it's usually Dead Kennedys I listen to or, you know, or, or anything just to kind of like, just get rid of everything that's inside my mind. And, you know, it's great, it's great to work out to uh, fresh fruit for rotten vegetables, you know, it's like, <laughs> and, and that's pretty much always my go-to, you know, and I'll listen to little bits of other stuff like, I don't know, eagles or just anything. The spectrum's like pretty wide and far apart. And then you have some time before school, before you have to pick them up from school where you can, where you can write. Yeah. And also squeeze in Tim's Twitter listening parties somewhere along the that's, way. That's that's at night, and he's not been to school since the Twitter party started. It's been it's been quite a juggling act, you know. Um, so, so he listens. So he gets to hear all of these albums, though. He's three hundred and fifty some uh, records. It, it, he's he's gotten to be sort of schooled in on the side. Does he express his preferences for just like for albums that you're that you're playing back over there? He's always had a, a fondness for, and it's funny that I mentioned both these artists in, I foolishly was asked, well, not foolishly asked, I was asked and foolishly, <laughs> and foolishly responded, how does your album sound? And I said, well, hopefully it's somewhere between Paul McCartney and Brian Eno, which is like, you know, pretty over the top kind of like claims. But they are the two albums that, uh, you know, uh, Taking uh, Tiger Mountain uh, by Eno and anything pretty much by McCartney or Wings, uh, Beatles, um, does it for does it for my little boy? You know, uh, he's he's got good taste. <laughs> yes, and and you know, after you've heard True Wheel by Brian Eno a million times over, it's bound to have some kind of like, you know, <laughs> it's bound to rub off. But he just loved the bit about looking for a certain ratio and he actually funnily enough he loves a certain ratio too and the fall and uh and and so lots of stuff that i that i like so um yeah he, he's got he's got he's got taste you know i don't know you know i don't i don't try and make him love my music uh but he does seem to listen to a lot of it what are some of your favorite records of just of just the past couple of years or who are you what are some of the what are some young artists that you're most uh 
if they were a stock, you would invest in that stock. Oh, well, I mean, I've, I've always had a, a soft spot for Chastity Bell. Um, I've, I've really liked them as a band. Um, you know, and I've, I've always supported them, you know, when they, you know, their, their records, I always made sure that, you know, people knew that I was posting about them and stuff like that, because I just, there's something about them that I really like, uh, uh, the the lyrics and uh, kind of like the, this, this kind of sadness in, in there, but, um, Probably that I don't really understand, but it's uh, very good. Uh, I really love um, an artist. Uh, yeah, well, obviously you'll know it, Julia Holter. Um, I, I, I love uh, John Mao. Uh, I love uh, Ariel Pink. Uh, a band called Average Sex. I'm just looking at a cassette up here. They're very good. I, I like them so much <laughs> that I put them out on my own record label. Oh, nice. Uh, Keel her again. I put her out, her records out. Um, I, I, I like um, I like everything really. Shabazz Palace is I'm a big fan of. Are there are there albums that you've done in Tim's Twitter listening party that were things you weren't really a fan of yet until you had that experience? What what's what's something that's entered your personal heavy rotation as a result of a listening party? Uh, well, I mean my, the biggest. The biggest thing for me, uh, out of probably all of it, um, and was the uh, Coldplay tweeted along to a, um, to their film, and I'd never seen it before, nor particularly, uh, you know, um, felt engaged with the band, and and I am a huge fan now, and yeah, you know, it's 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 just they're so brilliant. It's like what's not yeah. to love, and uh, you know, and I just. So that was a, a a big thing. I mean, there's been so many. Um, I'll have to look at, at the list of ones yeah. we've done. But uh, you know, lots I don't I'd never heard before. You know, there's lots, yeah. and there's lots of artists that um, I've heard some of their records, but not all of them. Um, obviously, when it comes to like bands like New Order and The uh, Cure and The There and um, you know uh, anything that Tim Pope's done as a video director. You know, when it, when we started yeah. doing the video, you know, all, all, you know, and um, you know, I, I've uh, uh, Hannah Tell, uh, I uh, invited along because I was a fan of hers. Uh, uh, again, uh, done a couple of Julia Halter records and um, uh, uh, Nessa Francis, a new artist from from Ireland, really beautiful. Uh, uh, you know, so and Chastity Bell, done you know, done lots of new artists as well as all of the classic kind of you know the ones that we're all kind of we all love and the ones that haven't shown up yet. Are, because I don't really know how to get hold of them, so. But I just, I mean, I've got to say, I imagine that this is just such a, I mean, for the year 2020, which has been sucky, obviously, the fact that, that this listening party thing has expanded into such a robust and fun volunteer project on your part, um, it's it's got to be like, are you, do you feel just a new level of joy? I don't know. I'm, I, I feel a new level of joy from it. It must be nice. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm really, um, you know, like Matt Johnson doing the, the last night and, uh, Shabazz Palaces, you know, uh, last night too. And then, uh, you know, I can't, I can't even remember what, you know, having Teenage Fan Club it's... doing like doing three so far or, or whatever. Um, it is, it is amazing. It is amazing. You know, I love the fact that they love it, and um, and I love them for doing it. You know, that's that's it. Massive thanks to Tim Burgess for that sweet conversation, and even more so for continuing to donate his time to host his Twitter listening parties. 
timstwitterlisteningparty.com for more info. And episode 54 of LSQ features a chat with Kyle Thomas of King Tough. That'll be out in a few weeks. Thanks so much for checking out episode 53. And you can reach me with questions and feedback on Twitter at Jenny LSQ. 